taking up the sword of Christian theology and the shield of apologetics while taking truth into the arena of ideas. You are listening to the Bellator Christie Podcast, brought to you by BellatorChristie.com. Now join your hosts, Brian Chilton and Curtis Evelo, as we enter into the arena of ideas. Coming to you from Pilot Mountain, North Carolina, in Ronan, Montana, uh, we're bringing you the Word of the Lord. Today's passage of Scripture comes from Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. It says, The Lord your God is among you, a warrior who saves. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will be quiet in his love. He will delight in you with singing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, hello, Bellator Christie family. Uh, we just uh, thank you for tuning in and listening to us. And uh, um I wanted to wanted to make an announcement, um, and it's um, it's something that we need here at Bellator Christie, and so uh, I want to I want to ask that I want to read this um, as I wrote it out, so um, you guys hear it um, truly as as we thought it out. Um, it says we here at Bellator Christie are in need. Since our summer series we started, we have had a few requests for a transcript for the podcast. Brian and I are reaching out to our listeners to see if someone out there would like to take the ta- take this task on and consider it a ministry for the other listeners. We'd love to hear from you, and if you think this is a ministry adventure you're interested in, please get in touch with us through email on Bellator Christie website and just put in the heading transcription request, and we'll visit with you about this. Thanks for considering. Well, folks, we just uh, we thank you for possibly considering that, and uh, we just thank you for engaging with us um, here on the podcast. Um, today we have some uh, Q and A's, uh, some questions that we had uh, come in, so we're going to do that here in a little bit, and then we're going to break into our next uh, interview. Uh, probably be about you know halfway through or so. We'll we'll be breaking into our our interview. So, anyway, let's go ahead and welcome on Brian. Hello, Brian. Hey Curtis, hope you're doing well. Mm-hmm. Yep, it's all good. One of the good in the hood, <laughs> <laughs> the Montana hood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, your ears were probably burning today. I was talking to a guy who was a rancher and uh, told him about you and the Hereford cattle that you guys have, and oh, yeah. and I think you guys have Angus over there too. And he said he raised Angus, yeah. and I think. Uh, Charlay, I think it was something yep. like that, but yeah, uh, big white cows. Yeah, <laughs> yep. but yeah, they're big cows. We want to let people know uh, if if you've been following us on uh, on Facebook on social media, uh, you probably were anticipating today an interview with Dr. Wade Mullen, and last week an interview with Amanda Burke. Unfortunately, we have had a couple of weeks of bad luck. Uh, last week. Uh, our podcast with Amanda had to be postponed uh, because, well, two things. One, we had a massive storm. We had been having some tremendous uh, and powerful storms come through the uh, 
uh, northwest area of North Carolina. Uh, we fact, in fact, yesterday we had the remnants of uh, Tropical Storm Fred, which was Hurricane Fred at one time, and uh, <laughs> did some damage in our area, quite honestly. But last week we had a storm come through and knock the power out for a little bit and then knock the Internet out and our telephone system out, and it was out for about a week. Uh, thankfully, we're back up and online. Uh, but Amanda also had some uh, personal issues that that caused her to have to postpone. Well, today we were going to have Dr. Wayne, Wade Mullen, author of Something's Not Right with us, but unfortunately he is under the weather and uh, is going to be unable to be with us. God willing, both of those podcasts were looking to postpone till sometime in November. So uh, they may not be technically part of the series, but uh, just note that uh, if you were looking forward to those interviews, God willing, if nothing doesn't happen, uh, we'll still plan to have them, but sometime in November. So uh, just to kind of get you up to speed with what's been going on the past couple weeks. You could send some of that rain over here. Man, I tell you what, I wish I could. We are getting bombarded. <laughs> it just walk out in the grass. In fact, I walked up where we put out some rock yesterday, and everything's just so mushy. It's like you, your feet just sink in the ground. We uh, we need some drier weather, and you guys need some wetter weather, so hopefully we can move some of those systems that way. <laughs> yeah. Did you see that video of that fire I, I sent you that, was, that blew up on the top of those mountains? Yeah, that's insane. I, that that only was a few hours long, and it was huge, huge plumes of of smoke, and it was just just moving and rocking and rolling. They were firefighters were having a bit of a bit of a trouble with that one, so mm. we could use your prayers on that. Absolutely. So, anyway, so we got uh, we decided we're going to do some listener Q and A, um, and so. We've got four questions, and I have a pretty funny suspicion it's going to take pretty pretty long time on these ones. So, <laughs> yeah. um, so let's go ahead and get into the first one. Uh, first one is uh, it's a soteriology question. Um, so, so as, as, I'm sorry. As as a backdrop, the, this this gentleman named Mark, we we had a exchange of emails uh, back and forth a little bit, and so I, I told him I told him to, to hang tight. We're going to answer the question in full. Uh, anymore, I'll be honest, Curtis, I, I don't get into social media debates that much uh, anymore because mm-hmm. they're, they're very rarely fr- fruit-bearing. And, and the same thing goes with inter- with email spats. Um, it, it very, very often doesn't produce much fruit. So what I would say to our, our listener here um, – Hear the totality of of the response given today. If you still disagree, understand we we understand, uh, but uh, I, I think that we have some solid ground to stand on uh, with with the answers we're going to hopefully give uh, here shortly. Mm-hmm. So the question came in. And it says, uh, "I enjoyed your article on the problems of Calvinism." And I agree. Amen. But it seems too many people are hung up on debate, debating Arminianism and Calvinism and should simply stick to the simplicity of the Bible. I'm going to have you pause there. Um, okay. Do we debate too much Arminian and Calvinism and Molinism? Probably. Uh, but let's, let's, let's just... 
let's just say this. Any thought process, when carried to its fullest end, has consequences to it. Mm-hmm. Um, there are there are many individuals who consider themselves Calvinists who are infralapsarian and sublapsarian, which really is a very mild form of Calvinism. In fact, some would even say sublapsarianism is more akin to Arminianism than necessarily Calvinism, and that may very well be true. Norman Geisler considered himself an infralapsarian Calvinist, um, which is a very mild form of Calvinist. And I'm throwing some theological terms, and this may be the subject of another podcast we need to do to explain some of those things. But essentially, it means that God decreed to save, but it doesn't mean necessarily that God chose to condemn uh, without giving people an opportunity to respond. Um, Norman Geisler writes a book uh, where uh, I think it's called Chosen But Free, where he talks about the fact that we that we do have free will uh, and that we can respond to the grace of God, but there still is a form of election, but it doesn't necessarily mean as the supralapsarian strong-willed Calvinist implies. If you follow supralapsarian strong Calvinism to its end, then essentially that means that there are people out there who... Uh, Regardless of what happens, that uh, that that are chosen to be condemned, that is really it. Really damages the character of God, in my opinion. And also, some people have used this notion to to hold to such a deterministic view of God that even God is to blame for when we choose to do bad things. And I've heard people use that as an excuse to get around their sin by not taking responsibility for what they do, but essentially blaming God. Now, having said that, we do need to work through those ins and outs, and I think I think Mark would agree with us on that. But let me just say something here as well. He mentioned stick simply to the simplicity of the Bible. Here's the problem. The Bible is not simple. It's not. If you have a yearly um, program where you read through the Bible, what normally happens? You start in Genesis. You make it through Genesis, no problem. But what happens? We get stuck in Leviticus and the begats of numbers. Because, let's just shoot straight. Well, even when we're looking at the New Testament, the New Testament's easier to understand than the Old Testament, but even with the New Testament, you're looking at 2,000 years, so there's a time difference, 2,000 years difference between the times that these books were written and the time that we're living. You also have differences in languages. This was written in, uh, the Bible was written in Aramaic and Hebrew and Greek, uh, where we're speaking in English. You also have a cultural difference. Uh, there were certain things that you can't expect the culture of of first century Israel or even the uh, second and third uh, millennia of, uh, of of BC times to be the same as southeastern uh, United States or even the the Pacific Northwest United States. There are distinctions and differences in the culture. So the Bible is not necessarily simplistic. If it were, then we wouldn't have issues. Like, for instance, Curtis, you and I were talking about uh, a, a passage of Scripture in 1 Kings 13. 
very problematic passage, quite honestly. Um, mm-hmm. Are there answers out there? Of course, we're going to be producing a co-write a uh, article very soon on this very issue. Are there answers to it? Absolutely. But it takes some work to navigate those waters. So I think that this is an urban legend that we've adopted, thinking that the Bible is just simple. It's really not. And No, there's so many layers. Absolutely. And quite honestly, if we hold that the Bible is the Word of God, written by human writers, but really ultimately written by capital A author God, then we should expect it to be complicated. We should expect the general message simple. I'll grant you that. But there's so many, as you said, Curtis, so many layers to the Word that if it's coming from God, we should expect it to be a little difficult to understand. Yeah, true. Yep, true. So he, so he continues on. He says, Consider this. God didn't give his word to a planet of scholars who have doctorates in divinity or seminary training. All right, ho- ho- hold at- on. Let's pause, pause there for a moment. But <laughs> Go back and do your history. Now, he was going to mention here in a moment that Paul was seminary trained. Okay, Luke was a doctor. Matthew was a tax collector, which means he had specialized training. Um, and we're going to read on a little bit further here in just a moment, and I'm going to, we want to expound a little bit more on what he says here. But consider this. Daniel, remember Daniel? He yeah. was a scholar par excellence. Yeah. That's why that's why uh, Babylon wanted him. That's why Nebuchadnezzar said keep him, because he knew he, they were smart. Isaiah, same thing with Isaiah, yep. son of Amos. Uh, Ezekiel, I think he served in the high court. Uh, you and Moses, oh my lord, Moses was trained mm-hmm. by the Egyptians in the in the best educational system of the day. Joseph, and then he says, I can't. I can't speak, Lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and Joseph, yeah, right, you can't. <laughs> Joseph, Joseph had the same issue going on. You know, Joseph, you know, he was sold right. into slavery, but then he was brought up in the Egyptian court, was highly trained. Uh, so Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were in there with Daniel. They were highly trained. I mean, there are multiple people throughout the pages of Scripture that were highly trained individuals. So you can't say that that God gave gave, and I would agree that God didn't give His word to only scholars. But you can't say that that there weren't that He didn't give His word to at least some scholars, because if you follow the narrative of Scripture, it's, it's evident that He did. Mm. Right. He goes on to say, for example, look at Peter and the rest. Except for Paul, none of the apostles had seminary-like training or letters. All right, all right. We've got I'm pause. assuming PhD, doctor, any of that kind of stuff. I'm yeah. assuming that's what he means. Yeah, yeah, he probably does there, and and I think this is a little bit of a of a smear towards me, which is fine. You know, I, I'm I've, I'm used to taking smear. I had a person in England write a expose on me one time before saying that my whole testimony was a lie and that I really wasn't an agnostic and all this stuff at one time. I mean, whatever. I mean, to be honest, I laughed at it. It, yeah. <laughs> it was so don't ridiculous. Yeah. You don't know my heart, don't know my life. And so uh, I was honored that I actually received that much, that, that I was that... Uh, 
uh, receive that much attention to necessarily need something like that. I felt an honored by that, even though it was as goofy as it was. So <laughs> let, uh, let, let's take a look at this. We don't know how much training the disciples did have. We know there are good reasons for believing that the Galilean uh, training, now all the training happened in synagogues. There, there are reasons for believing that the Galilean training was, it was at just as good, if not better, than the training in Judea. Okay, You follow the archaeology, Peter's house was just down the street from the synagogue, which means that he and his family had a high standing in Capernaum. Uh, which could have meant that, that maybe they had some family members who were uh, rabbis. I don't know. But we do know that they did find the house of Peter. And in the room that's believed to be Peter's, they found a... Well, this is not a pastoral word. A load. <laughs> a, a, a big load. <laughs> a big load <laughs> of... of Sorry, a big load of fishing hooks uh, in in the room that was Peter's, and it was just down the street from the synagogue. Uh, so, but furthermore, I, I want to say this: I, I, I am I, I realize that not everyone is blessed to go to the, the PhD level, and I, I count that a blessing of God for me to be able, for Him to have given me the opportunity to go. I mean, I'm not through the dissertation yet, so I don't have it under belt by any stretch of the imagination yeah. yet. And, and the desire, because like, yeah, there's, you know, some of us, that, like me, I'd have no desire to go through a PhD program. Well, and you know what, and because, that's, and that's mean, fine. No, it doesn't mean you're uneducated at all, and that's fine. Right. You know, not as as Dr. Leo Purser tells everyone who goes in the PhD in theology and apologetics, it must be a calling. If God hasn't called you to it, that's fine. That doesn't mean that you're un, unlearned. It doesn't mean that you're uneducated. It doesn't mean that you can't still do apologetics. We need more and more people to do apologetics. I count myself as blessed to be able to have gone through the program. But let me just say this. I love my professors. God has blessed me with wonderful professors. Leo Purser. I've been under in, under the uh, the tutelage of Leo Purser, David Baggett, Gary Habermas, Gary Yates, Kevin King. Um, uh, gosh, many many other wonderful scholars, men of God. Um, Doctor, uh, you know the, the the professor of bibliology uh, was a, a tremendous man of God. Sheer genius I had. He was a, my professor there. But let me say this: as much as I love these guys, as much as I appreciate, like Ronnie Campbell, uh, he's another one. Chad Thornhill uh, is another one. Wonderful guys. As much as I love and appreciate these guys, I would trade it all if I could have three and a half years with Jesus of Nazareth. As my professor, can yeah. you imagine? Yeah, I guarantee it. E each one of those, each one of those professors would be like, "You're a fool to learn from me, man. Go to him." Exactly, and I guarantee yeah. you that they yeah. would they would say the same thing about their professors. Mm -hmm. If you had three and a half years to live with the Son of God, the one who hung the stars in place, the the mm -hmm. the one who design creation and and by walking with him you got to do things like walking on water you got to see 
a person rise from the dead. You got to see uh, demons flee. Demons flee at just a command. You got to see Big tree melt. Yeah, and even <laughs> yeah. got to see like Peter, James, and John. Uh, got to see uh, Jesus transfigured and seeing Moses and Elijah three and a half years. Mm-hmm. Man, they had the professor of all professors. Right. So that is a line of bull, if you have me. I mean, no offense to Mark. Oh, Mark, we love you. We No offense to you, but it's a line of bull to say that they weren't seminary trained. They had the professor of all professors. Right. <laughs> well, and it also goes to... Um, We make a mistake in modern days looking back and thinking that these guys, when I hear preachers and pastors say that, you know, these guys, are, these guys were just fishermen. They were just fishermen trying to make, basically make them um, sound uneducated and, and maybe just not necessarily dumb, but just dumb. <laughs> but that's, that's false. That's, that's a false idea of an understanding of what the culture was. I mean, for pity's sake, by the time they were, what, eight years old, they had the first five books of the law memorized, and they were actually advancing. If they if they had that down, then they'd be advancing into the other books, and then they'd be advancing into, um, they'd be actually training for getting picked up by a rabbi to be under the teaching of a rabbi for the next several years. Absolutely. So, to under, so understanding that these men knew the scriptures inside and out over and under and they knew the culture well paul studied under gamaliel not only did he do that but where did he grow up at you know exactly he's a citizen of rome you know um there was there's many many things that you that you look at of, of how these how the culture was in that time period um you know even even um uh, in the book of acts when they were when the uh, uh, Pharisees and Sadducees were were basically telling, uh, you, know, st- you know, following Peter and and the boys there, the apostles, how they were saying how these guys, you know, how could these guys be speaking such truths or such things, but yet they realized, oh, they had been with Jesus. That is the key point. They had been with Jesus. They are showing signs of being with their professor. The professor of all professors, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you think about where Jesus was in the time period of when he wasn't uh, in Jerusalem, or when he when he was when he got evacuated from uh, Bethlehem. Exactly, and, and where he went. So yeah, yeah. Where did he go? Yeah. So so yeah. That that's a good point there, Curtis. Um, we don't know. How long? We do know that Jesus and Mary and Joseph, the Holy Family, they fled to Egypt. We don't know how long they were down there. We don't know. It could have been, and it's very likely, that they would have gone to Alexandria. Alexandria had a large Jewish population in the region of that time. It only would make sense that they would go to Alexandria. But now here's the key. Here's the key point I want you to, to remember. If they were down in Alexandria, we don't know how long they were down there. We do know that Alexandria was a big center of learning. It w- Maybe not to the level of Athens, but it was very doggone close. 
Alexandria hosted one of the largest libraries of that day and time. I'm thinking they said it was something like over 100,000 books or scrolls that they had in that library. It was huge. Now, from Alexandria, we get the likes of some of the most amazing theologians in church history, such as Athanasius of Alexandria, who stood against uh, Arianism in the, what was that, 3rd century, I think, 3rd, 4th century, 4th century, I think. Uh, so he, he stood against that and, and really helped God use him to preserve the accurate message of, of Scripture. If Jesus were down there and he received some education, he would have he would have had an amazing schooling down there if that's where it started. Again, we don't know how long they were down there, but we do know we do know they moved back to Nazareth. We do know that uh, at some point they moved there. At some point, we know that that Jesus was at least back in Jerusalem, back in Israel, by his bar mitzvah by the time he was right. thirteen. So right. that's when he went to the Temple Mount and confounded the the uh, the scholars of that day and age uh, right. because of his knowledge and, and learning. So uh, there's evidence within within the teachings of Jesus that he uses amazing logic, uh, that he even, maybe not quotes, but even references even some philosophical works. Uh, Jesus shows all the signs of, of course, he's the Son of God. Theologically, we know that. But he shows all the signs of a person who is very well learned. Yeah, he had to be human on this earth. So yeah. he had to lay down lay down his ability to do those things or to, you know, to be thinking of those. So you, you think about it. If he had to learn the way we would have learned, he would have learned how to smash his finger, hammering things. Oh, in. yeah. He would have learned how to... You know how how to take out the garbage. How to you would have learned all these things, and, and along with that, that's a practical education. But he also learned a, uh, you know, an actual physical, mental uh, education. Absolutely. So he goes on to say, through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, God uses. The simple to confound the wisdom of the wise, and and I have no bones to pick with that. I think that he does use the simple to confound the wise. That's biblical, but does that mean that does that mean that we still don't sh- study to show ourselves approved? Does that I mean look at there are numerous right. scriptures that tell us to meditate on the word of the Lord. Uh, we do it with all humility. Mm-hmm. Um, so there again, Daniel was had a simple faith in God, and God used Daniel as educated as he was to confound the wisdom of uh, of of the scholars in in uh, in Babylonia to confound Nebuchadnezzar and many others. So that doesn't necessarily mean that that you don't study. Uh, you know, I, I think we have to be careful, just as we don't want to be. And I'm not implying this is what Mark means, but just as we don't want to be physically lazy, we don't want to be intellectually lazy with the Word of the Lord. Right. Well, and it also, isn't it true worship when we can worship God with our mind, with our heart, and with our actions? Yeah, I think it's part of the Great Commandment. So that's part of everything that we, it's heart, soul, and mind, you know, it's what we do, you know. So he goes on to say, no one on the planet knows the Bible 100% cover to cover. Every spiritual mystery, nuance, or meaning, every jot and tittle. 
And I don't believe that we need to know the Bible 100% cover to cover to be able to to be able to go into all the world and fulfill the Great Commission to point peace people to Jesus Christ and make disciples. Just look at the first century Christians, the people who walked with Jesus, those who followed him, all simple farmers, peasants, tent makers, and former tax collectors, and so on. These, these simple people turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ and didn't even have Bibles in their back pockets. No Strong's Concordance or Bible software. Yeah, so here's another little snide comment, I think, uh, Strong's Concordance and Bible software. Here's the thing. you got to remember, though, they were committed to memorizing the Scripture in their to their heart yeah. in their minds and heart yeah you couldn't walk you, i mean the role of the like the role the the scroll of isaiah was huge oh so sure how are you going to be able to do how are you going to be able to have the scroll of isaiah all the prophets all the you know all of the uh the the law you know by moses the you know the deuteronomy deuteronomy and leviticus i mean could you imagine those scrolls too yeah um so I think that's a little little unfair to be saying. I, I, I think it is, too, and I think it makes a, a false—I uh, think it's a categorical mistake in some sense because it, it, they're, they're saying that they didn't, well, they didn't have the technology to have this. And, and quite honestly, paper was expensive for them to have it. So, But that doesn't mean that they didn't know the material. In fact, they had to study harder to, to memorize this material and, and to commit it to their heart. Um, but it showed the passion they had. Deuteronomy chapter 6 holds the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But then after that, it talks about meditating on the word of the Lord, making it a part of your life, passing it on to your children. Uh, mm -hmm. It's very focused on making the word of the Lord part of your life. Okay, so no one on the planet knows the Bible 100% is cover to cover. No, no one does. I, I'll grant you that. We can't expect that because if this is a revelation of God, then that means then there are going to be some mysteries that we don't understand. But that doesn't mean that we don't try to explore the issues and, we don't try, and right? delve deeper because that's a form of worship. And so, um, you know, he, he, he's, he talks about using simple farmers and peasants and tent makers and former tax collectors and so on. Again, we already mentioned that these people were more highly trained than what we want to give credence to. Uh, but at the same time, yeah, can God use anybody to, to make a difference? Absolutely. But that does not mean that we can settle for being intellectually lazy with the Word of the Lord. And my last comment on this comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul writes to the church of Corinth, for my part, brothers and sisters, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as babes in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, since you were not yet ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still worldly. For since there is envy and strife among you, are you not worldly and behaving like mere humans? And then he goes on to talk about, for whenever someone says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not acting like mere humans? The point Paul is bringing out 
is that he wants them to move from the milk of God's word, the simplistic truths, to the meat and potatoes of God's word. He wants them to grow. In fact, he even says that the carnality that is evident in the church of Corinth comes from their inability and lack of concern for growing in the Word of God and delving into these deeper issues. And I dare say that the reason we have so many problems as we do in the modern church comes from our lack of willingness to grow in the deep treasure troves of God's Word. We only want a surface-level understanding of God's Word, but there are Deep minds to be, there are deep minds to be mined. There are diamonds to be mined out of God's Word that we'll never find if we're not willing to do the digging. Right. Yeah. It's a good one. Well, thank you for that answer. Um, let's move on to number two um, Law and Grace uh, by Apple Mango, is what his email address was. Um, what does John 1, 17 mean? For the law was given through Moses, and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So I looked this up. Uh, let, let me read this and um, put this in context. Um, let's go back to verse 16, because you never want to read a Bible verse. You want to read a Bible passage. Uh, John chapter 1 starts off with the Lagos uh, passage of Scripture that talks about, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. Verse 14 talks about, um, The Word became flesh, dwelt among us. So that's the key theme. And so he goes on to say in verse 16, Indeed, we have all received grace upon grace from His fullness. Um, and he even talks about John here, the one coming after me ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. And then he goes on to say, I'll receive grace upon grace from his fullness, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself. God and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Okay, let's keep that in context. So essentially, without going through all the nuances, John is, is not giving a negative view of the law here. In fact, Moses is regarded as a positive servant of God in chapter 5, verses 45 through 47, chapter 6, verse 32, chapter 7, verses 19 through 23. The problem is, is, that, um, is that, that Jesus in this gospel was not with Moses and the law. The problem was with the disobedient Jews who misused Moses and the law. And again, to, miss, and to understand that, we've got to delve in deeper to the Scripture. So essentially, putting this in context, he, he's talking about that the, the more excellent gift has come in Jesus because he is the incarnate Lagos. And he's, he's, uh, he's, this is a kind of a post-resurrection title of Jesus, uh, but he's linking this to Jesus saying that he came to give the ultimate gift of grace which is a gift of salvation, and he is the revelation of God come in flesh. So we have the ultimate gift. We have the ultimate revelation of God. That's what he means by grace and truth. Right. That's good. I hope that answers, I hope that answers the question. Um, it, it did seem to me to be, you know, you have the Old, the old Testament law under Moses and then the New under Jesus and and having those two separated but um 
having having you explain it the way you did um, brings light to that to that statement or that question. So, so uh, number three, uh, I have down here is Sola Sola Sola. <laughs> it's by Anonymous. <laughs> uh, it says, "Question: Can you please recommend?" Some introductory books for me on the five solas. Number two, sola scriptura, and number three, sola fide. Okay, um, I, I was looking this up on Amazon to see some good resources, and I, th I think I found a series that you might be interested in. Uh, that our listener may be interested in, and it comes by Thomas Sh uh, Schreiner and David Van Drunen and, and others along with it. It's, 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 uh, there's a product bundle. For, it's like $90 for all five books. You can probably buy them individually. Uh, but it's called the Five Sola Series Pack. Uh, they have a book on the uh, five solas, One God's Word Alone. There's another one called God's Glory Alone, uh, Christ Alone, Faith Alone, and Grace Alone. And so you can look this up on um on Amazon or anywhere book where books are found, uh, this is called the Five Solas series pack again by Thomas Schreiner and David Van Drunen. Uh, just know that Schreiner probably leans more Calvinistic, uh, so keep that in mind as you're reading it. But nonetheless, I think these books should be good if you're wanting an introduction to the Five Solas. Right. Yeah, and I and I I couldn't find I didn't find any um, that that weren't um along that same a same thread and i don't understand it why don't we have some more arminian or <laughs> you could say leaning molinist um that that may have a, a theological books like this the solas and stuff it seems well, to all lean calvinistic well my friend once uh, the phd's over and get through uh, the classroom work uh, buckle up because we i'm hoping i'm going to hope to contribute some of those very things to uh, the, uh, the 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 intellectual and Christian world, uh, more theological as more theological works uh, based on some of these things from a Molinist perspective. Yeah. So uh, number four, uh, it's by Apple Mango again. Um, the question starts out: What did Jesus mean by yoke in Matthew? Uh, 11, 28 through 30, what does that mean? It says, what does for my yoke is easy and my burden is light mean? Now, Curtis, you want to take a shot at this one? I sure can. Um, so we we want to, like you said earlier, you want to make sure you're um, maybe expanding that rather than just focusing on, the, on those verses right there. We want to expand it, so we want to go back and look at maybe what all was being said there. Um, so uh we can even we could start right there um and just understand that there's there's more to it in that whole picture of what's being said um who is jesus um confronting who is he talking to what was the crowd around him what was the historic um setting of what was going on but he says he says in here um uh, in 1128 just come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. Well, let's look at the context of, of the of the uh, time period of what, what may have been being said there. There's a couple of different theological ends we could go to it, but we're just going to focus on maybe what was being said um, as far as um, a burden or work animal. So a work animal in that time period was, you know, an ox or, or a, you could say um, any of those kind of animals, and they would strap these big wooden uh, apparatus on these oxen that would bind both um, uh, two, two oxes together, two oxen together, so they could actually pull a heavier load because one ox could co pull one and a half of his weight, but two oxes together could pull three times to four times their weight. So um, it was it was a it was an idea of um, a you know a apparatus to tie work animals together. But also, um, what Jesus might have been talking about was how heavy that was, how heavy of a burden it was. So if you think of if you got something on your shoulders, a yoke that you're you're carrying this burden. Well, he was referring to the burden of what the Pharisees and and were putting on people at that time period, um, which would have been a burden of the law. So at that time period, they the the Jewish um, rabbis and 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 Pharisees of that time period had about six hundred and thirteen laws, I think, is what it was, of rules to follow behind and to um, to actually. Uh, obey and try to do these things and so what jesus was saying is y yeah you you can you can stay with them guys but my burden is lighter my my law that i'm going to pass on the rules that i'm going to pass on for a living is going to be lighter my my work that i'm going to do on the cross later on is going to provide a lighter load my load's going to be believe in me you don't have to go through all these hoops. You don't have to do all these 613 laws just to get there. Um, for example, um, think back of when, uh, or actually think forward. If we look at Matthew 22 through 36, um, when the uh, when the when the, it says lawyer in there, but what he really with that what that word means, or what that um, actually contextually means, is he was just a scribe. For the Pharisees, um, he took took care of things, wrote things, so on and so forth. So, um, when he came to Jesus and he and he asked him uh, what the greatest commandments were, trying to trick Jesus, and Jesus said, uh, uh, "You know, you can almost read, you know, read between the lines what Jesus was saying there." He's like, "Well, just obey these two, you know," uh, and so uh, it 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 provides us a good opportunity to. Um, understand Jesus's load that he's requiring is not as heavy as what the what the Pharisees were 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 putting on people at during that time period and that's what he was really coming against so I hope that answers hope that answers the question and uh, if not I guess right back <laughs> well done Curtis I have absolutely nothing to add to that very well done thank you well on to our interview section of this and uh looks like we're going to be running against some time here <laughs> that, so we're that's probably all right probably get, a, get a few questions i don't think this interview person would mind um what we're going to do here so um 
anyway, so we're going to welcome on our uh, our interview uh, person. Is our interview is our very own uh, patron uh, of Bellator Christie is uh, Brian Chilton. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> so we you wrote a book, the Layman's Manual on Christian apologetics. It's on our it's on our website. It's on the um, it's on the podcast uh, talking about you know the things that we were that we've been talking about and discussing. Um, so I want to just ask you what what or who were you trying to reach with this book? You, you know this is in, this is an interesting question, especially following uh, the, Mark's question um, that we discussed that really took the the vast majority of, of the podcast to answer because because he did bring out a bunch of good good points and uh, things that needed to be discussed. Uh, but honestly, the book was written for the layperson. It was. I mean, it can be used by academics. It can be used by scholars as a as a quick and easy resource. But it was actually geared towards the person who doesn't have seminary level training, who wants to know the the core essence of what it is about what apologetics is all about. And that's why it's called the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics because it is it is devoted to the layman. And I use layman to mean both. You know, men and women. You know, it's it's used right, to, right. for both yeah. genders. So the lay's person, you know, it, the layman mean lay person. It's uh, it's intended to be used by anyone who wants to know more about uh, Christian apologetics. Right. I'm going to ask you this: since since we've been in this summer series, uh, how have you seen the timing and fitment of your book for today's church? I, I I am more and more convinced that um, you know we we are on, we are in a spiritual war right now. Um, mm-hmm. Do we have political issues that that I think threaten the church? Yeah, of course, um, I you know I'm not. We don't we don't focus on the poli- on politics. Uh, on this podcast, but but there are things going on out there that I think are threats to freedoms, threats to the Christian faith. But I see the greater problems coming from within the church, mm-hmm. and that's one of the reasons why you know I, I I've really felt led to focus on theology and apologetics so so centralized because I think the greater danger to the church is is found within the church. Is found by our own uh, lack of biblical, theological, and apologetic training, knowing what it is we believe right. and why we believe it. Um, I, th- I think I don't think that the the greatest threat is is something externally that's going to cause us to explode. I think the greatest problem is something that's going to make us implode upon ourselves because of the divisions and and pro- things going on. So. Um, as we've gone through this, I think that it is more important than ever before. As as we've even interacted with people, uh, you know, Curtis, you on a personal level with some some listeners and and us through the website as well um, about people who are needing this material, but brought down a notch uh, because I think with any field, whether it's philosophy, theology, apologetics, a lot of it's just learn, learning the ter- terminology. Learning yeah, the essentials, right? And that's what I was going to say. Is I see a lot of this as when we discuss this, we we break down the words into what 
what do they actually mean when you're talking about soteriology and eschatology and what does that all mean you can hear people talk about you know eschatological views and da 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 and to to most people they just tune it out as soon as they hear that word but if they understand what that word means then they actually can put their teeth into it and actually carry on with it you know does that mean that we don't try to push them to to reach a little higher no that's what this series this summer series is about is trying to reach a little higher in our in our thinking in our faith but also still being able to um understand the basis of where we got there sure how we got there yeah. so i mean if you're studying law there are certain terms that you need to learn if you're studying logic you know you you'll hear terms like modus potens and modus or polens and and uh, uh syllogism and things these are words uh that that delve into logic so but you hear these million-dollar words, and, and it intimidates us, but when you really break it down to its root form and understand what's being discussed, anybody can learn it. It's just mm-hmm. whether you have a desire and passion to learn it. Mm-hmm. Perhaps, I think, and, you know, and even kind of things we discussed earlier, perhaps one of the greatest problems we're facing now is apathy, the fact that many people just don't care to learn this, and mm-hmm. I think that is far more dangerous uh, for the Christian church oh, than yeah. Islam could ever yeah. be. Yeah, man, I would have to agree. Yeah, apathy is what's going to take us down. Yeah. So, um, how accessible is the source material you used in the research and writing of this book? It's, it's fairly accessible. Um, if you go, there are some websites you can go to uh, I think it's one's called Church Fathers. I, I know I shared one with you, Curtis. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that like for the early Church Fathers. You can go on there and read um, a lot of what they wrote. Um, that there are some books that are di- more difficult to find than others. Uh, but you you know a, a simple search can do. You can go to your local library, or if you are uh, uh, if you if you're close to a Christian seminary. Uh, you can even go go there and look at resources. Uh, I would highly encourage people to do that if you live uh, in an area close enough. And it may be if you you may have to pay a small little fee to check out books, even if you're not a student there. Uh, but there are ways that you can access these resources. Um, if you have a Bible software program, you know a lot of them. I know with Logos Bible software, a lot of times it'll come even on a base package. It'll come with um, a lot of the early church fathers. And so um, there are things out there. In fact, you know, even Augustine's writings, uh, you can go, uh, Penguin has, has published some of his writings that are, that are very cheap, you know, a full copy. In fact, my copy of The City of God is a Penguin book, and I think it costs something like $9, $10 or something like that. Uh, it's, it wasn't oh, bad, wow. you know. You can get you can get Kindle deals. In fact, there's a Kindle even run a a, um, a a a deal one time where I got a full copy of uh, the Summa Theologica by Thomas Aquinas for free, absolutely free on Kindle. And so, so they're out there. You know, you might have to dig a little bit, but uh, the the primary resources are out there. And I do encourage people to try to go read primary resources as much as they can. Right. Right, yeah, because we talk about it quite often on here. Um, you've made the comment how, you know, 
if we don't understand, if we don't take and read the source material, if we just take it off of what we've heard somebody else say about the source material, then all of a sudden we start getting a little more skewed and a little more skewed into a, a direction that we may not be where the original author may not have been. Oh, sure. And I'll be honest, I've heard I've heard five Cal I mean not Calvinists, five uh Thomists say five different completely things about what Thomas Aquinas wrote. <laughs> and I'm not gonna mention anybody, you know, on there, but you know, Thomas Aquinas wrote a bunch. But uh, you know, and I think some things can maybe be misconstrued that he said, but but I would encourage people to go read for yourself what Thomas Aquinas wrote, what Augustine wrote. Read for yourself what uh, uh, Arminius wrote. Uh, Molina, I'll, I'll give the warning that you can get Molina's works. They're put out by um, Cornell University. They're a little more expensive, and I'll just shoot straight with you. Molina's works are a little more difficult to navigate because he's he uses a little bit more philosophy than what uh, some others do. But uh, it's mm-hmm. it's still if you take the time to go through it, you can still do it. Mm-hmm. You got to get past some of the the uh, clunkiness of how they wrote compared to how yeah. we write today. You know that, that is a little bit difficult and. It, that that kind of makes me. I, I I become very slow when I read some of those uh, bigger those you know the the originals. Um, yeah. I, I be I just it's clunky to me. So, <laughs> well, and if you can have if you can find something that may even have some footnotes to it um, that can kind of explain and dissect some of the historical things that's just going on and maybe discussing some of the theological terminology that's used that that can be a big benefit there to, you know for you as well mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. all right so the layman's manual on christian apologetics could very well be a first to many books of a list of potential series or books or study guides how do you see the future of this type of book oh yeah I, I'm, I'm i am definitely planning on uh I don't have anything laid out right now in full disclosure. In fact, I'm writing a book now on heaven uh, that is at a standstill because <laughs> I've got so many other things going on right now. I will eventually finish the book, I promise. Uh, but after that, uh, I, I honestly, the, the next book I see in, in the future after uh, the book on heaven is probably a layman's manual on Christian theology. Um, mm-hmm. I can even see a layman's manual on Christian philosophy, a layman's manual on Christian history, uh, numerous books. I mean, and you, and you may even have, you know, there may be some folks out there who have uh, some um, ideas about where we can take this, but I, I think that this will be the first of many. I would love to see this become a series of books um, that people can get, and um, mm-hmm. ho- hopefully, that that's the plan anyhow. Hopefully this will be the first of many books right. to come in the series right yeah and we've had on the interviews we've had this summer we've had uh some some of the uh professors on there that said they use it in their in their classroom or or yeah. use it in their small group so that's that was uh that was pretty cool when when we heard that so i'm deeply honored <laughs> yeah pretty awesome to hear so uh with some of our guests this year we've asked them about their books and what they could be used for I'm going to ask you, which books do you see the layman's manual either boosting or giving support to? 
so far? That, that's a good question. Um, so what they could be used for, uh, which books do you see layman's manual Christian politics either boosting or giving support to? Um, hmm. That's a good question. So are you asking what it could be, you know, that is it could be used along with other books? Is that what you're asking for yeah. there? Yeah. 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 So I can see this being used alongside, you know, Reasonable Faith is not a book that's meant for um, introductory studies because it's written at a higher level. But I do think, um, you know, uh, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Uh, to be an atheist, I think, uh, I think you know, uh, Frank Turek's books. I think it would go well with that. I think Jay Warner Wallace, his his series. Uh, I think it would go well with that. I think uh, the the case books by Lee Strobel. Uh, I think mm-hmm. would do well with that as well. I think it's in that genre. Um, the, you know, the case for Christ, I think, is written on a very lay level. Um, so I, I, I think it joins alongside with some of these other great works. Um, I think that it could definitely, if if you were going to have a collection of books, introductory books, I think I would get the Layman's Manual of Christian Apologetics, The Case for Christ, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist, and... Um, some other works like that. I think I was trying to think. William Lane Craig has a book. Uh, my mind's not working. It's late. <laughs> my mind's not working. But it is um, not reasonable faith. But it's one that's written on the level of uh, it discusses re- uh, reasonable faith, but on a more lay level. On guard. Yeah, on guard. <laughs> Couldn't think of it. So uh, yeah, like on guard. You know. So. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it could it could go along with all these other books that we just mentioned. Hmm. Interesting. That's cool. Yeah, I mean, there's there's several books out there that I think this that the Layman's Manual runs right up alongside of it, but it's original enough that um that I think it it gives a broad view of basically snippets from each one of those types of books. Yeah. So which is which is unique. So. And, anyway, and this would be so, something if you're if you're looking for just a, an overlay of the entire field, I think uh, right. that's where layman's manual would come in to play. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. So, with people like Habermas, Merritt, Baggett, giving you the hat tip on this book, that had to be an experience uh, getting their affirmation. How'd you feel about that? Oh, I was blessed. I was blessed wholeheartedly. Um, you know. You know, especially with Gary Habermas, you know, writing the uh, forward to it, I was really deeply honored, you know, for him doing that for me. And uh, uh, Doctor Merritt, he's a he's a good close friend of mine, and um, he's he's been a blessing to me. Doctor Baggett, I consider him a friend. We're going to have him on the podcast coming up. In fact, I actually talked with him. I'm working with Moral Apologetics, uh, his website, and uh, we <laughs> we were uh, I actually was on the phone with him the other night. Just a great great guy. And uh, I was giving him a hard time, and I told him, I, you know, he's in Houston, Texas now. I said, I can already see that tomato th- being thrown from Houston over here to North Carolina. <laughs> so, I mean, to, to get, uh, to yeah, to get their affirmation on the book was a tremendous honor. Uh, it, God blessed me f- far above and beyond whatever I could, uh, beyond what I could ever even imagine 
with getting their uh, their endorsements of the book. So I, I really and truly appreciate each and every one of them. Well, that's good. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, we got through the Q and A, and we got uh, an interview done with our with our uh, our very own Brian. So yeah, we scraped the bottom uh, of the barrel on the interview on this one. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, we're gonna shut her down from here. So want to say we here at Bellator Christie want to thank you for spending time together with us and we value that time our prayers that this podcast helps stretch your mind and is a place to strengthen your faith as we strive to create an atmosphere of discussion and as a reliable source of information join us next time on the Bellator Christie podcast until next time Brian and I say soldier on friends been listening to the Bellator Christie podcast brought to you by bellatorchristie.com. The opinions of our guests represent their own and may not reflect those of Bellator Christie Ministries or its affiliates. The Bellator Christie podcast and bellatorchristie.com are protected under Creative Commons copyright, all rights reserved. The opening theme is the song Crucified, written by John and Michaela Limanis, performed by Crosby Lane and produced by Mansion Entertainment. Be sure to visit our YouTube page at www.youtube.com forward slash Bellator Christie. Also, please consider leaving a positive review on the apps where this podcast is found. We thank you for joining us today and hope to see you back the next time that we step into the arena of ideas. Have you ever wondered about the Christian faith, but have become bogged down by difficult terminology? Are you a Christian and faced doubts and you didn't know where to turn? Maybe your faith has been challenged and you don't know how to respond. Or perhaps you desire to learn more about how to winsomely defend your faith, but you do not have the time nor the finances to enroll in seminary. If any of these situations describes you, then consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics. This book confronts the challenges facing the Christian faith, but does so in a way that is accessible to everyone. The Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics is available in softcover, hardcover, on the Kindle, and Nook. Consider purchasing a copy of the Layman's Manual on Christian Apologetics from your favorite bookstore today. Do you have a question about the Bible, theology, or apologetics that you've always wanted to ask but never felt comfortable asking? If so, we want to encourage you to head over to bellatorchristie.com and submit your question on the Submit a Question link. Your question will be reviewed and may be featured on a future article or podcast. Remember, the only dumb question is the one unasked. So go over to bellatorchristie.com now and submit your question.